Good afternoon, and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the Inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tevenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Today, Chris Massini has some poetry for us. I'll be checking with Bozeman Symphony Music Director Norman Wynn on his first year at that post. And Nathan Weinbender has thoughts on a new Eddie Murphy movie sequel. We'll also have some good news from museum goers in Washington and some music from the Bozeman Symphony Orchestra. This is Northwest Arts Review. This week, the Washington State's Arts Commission hosted its annual state poetry recitation competition called Poetry Out Loud. Like most events over the past year, the event was held virtually. Spokane Public Radio's Chris Massini tuned in and has this report. Most years, the Poetry Out Loud state final is an in-person competition, with high school students traveling from all corners of Washington to recite poems head-to-head in front of a panel of judges. But this year's event was live-streamed on YouTube and featured pre-recorded recitations from the state's 10 regional finalists. Representing Eastern Washington were Jonah Reeder from Mead High School and Leckie Albright from Liberty Bell High School in Winthrop. For the state competition, all students were required to memorize and recite three poems chosen from Poetry Out Loud's national database. Here's Jonah Reeder's recitation from round one. April Midnight by Arthur Simons Side by side through the streets at midnight Roaming together through the tumultuous night of London in the miraculous April weather. Roaming together under the gaslight, days work over, how the spring calls to us here in the city, calls to the heart from the heart of a lover. Cool, the wind blows, fresh in our faces, cleansing, entrancing, after the heat and the fumes and the footlights, where you dance and I watch your dancing. Good it is to be here together, good to be roaming, even in London, even at midnight, lover-like in a lover's gloaming. You, the dancer, and I, the dreamer, children together, wandering lost in the night of London, in the miraculous April weather. Competitors in Poetry Out Loud are judged on criteria including accuracy, voice and articulation, and evidence of understanding. In the state final, students are competing for the honor of representing Washington at the National Poetry Out Loud competition, which will be held in May. 
Students from all 50 states will compete there for $50,000 in scholarship awards. In recent years, the Methow Valley has been a perennial powerhouse in the state's competition. Representing that region this year was Leckie Albright from Liberty Bell High School. Fairy Tale with Laryngitis and Resignation Letter by Jean Dubreau. You remember the mermaid makes a deal, her tongue evicted from her throat, and moving is a knife cut with every step. This is what escape from water means. Dear colleagues, you write, for weeks I've been typing this letter in the bright kingdom of my imagination. Your body is a ship of pain. Pleasure is when you climb the rocks and watch the moonlight touching everywhere you want to go, a silver world called far away. Dear colleagues, you write, this place is a few sentences contained by the cursor's rippling barrier. What happened here is only beaks and brackets, the seraph's liquid stroke. The old story has witches, a prince in love with the surging silence of women, a knife that turns the water red. You write, dear colleagues, now these years are filed in the infinite oceans of bureaucracy. Everything bleaches or fades. In other words, goodbye. Sometimes it's possible to walk, although you've been told inside the oyster shell of your heart there is no soul. Creatures like you must end as a spray of salt, green droplets floating breathless in the air. After three rounds, the evening's host, Seattle Youth Poet Laureate Batania Gaudet, made the announcement everyone had been waiting for. Our 2021 Washington State Poetry Out Loud champion is Lucy Shannon from Anacortes High School. Lucy will receive a $200 cash prize plus $500 for her school to purchase poetry books. She'll also move on to the National Poetry Out Loud competition, which will take place this May. You can find out more about Washington's annual Poetry Out Loud competition at www.arts.wa.gov. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Chris Messini. Back in January, we heard from Northwest Museum of Arts and Culture's Executive Director, Wes Jessup. 
He was eager to talk about a then-upcoming double exhibit at the MAC. We'll go back to that conversation as a reminder, then share some good news about the remainder of its run in Spokane. An exhibition of the original costumes from Downton Abbey paired with our Downton Abbey, the BBC, uh, the very popular BBC television show, period show from the early 20th century. And we will pair that exhibition with costumes from that same era in our own collection, in the Max collection. So we have an amazing display. It's a complimentary show. So when we're thinking about exhibitions to bring, we like it when there's a local connection. When we brought Pompeii, it was on the 40th anniversary of the Mount St. Helens eruption. We happen to have a very large and extraordinary collection of clothing from the early 20th century, mostly tailored clothing from the families in Spokane came into the museum. So it's actually very much in sync with the a lot of the same aesthetic approach that the costume designers were, were using. So it's a really interesting juxtaposition our costumes will be presented in the Campbell House, which will be reopening for the first time mm. since last April. And then the Downton Abbey will be shown in the main gallery of the museum. I'd like to add that the installation and the design of the Downton Abbey display was worked out in conjunction with the Spokane Civic Theater. Their director, uh, Jake, actually came and helped us design some of the quote-unquote sets for these costumes using the museum's collection and some of the props from Civic Theater. So we really are going to have a nice, dramatic presentation of these costumes. Well, it would be really nice to see the, the ones from the Mac collection in their native habitat, as it were, in the Campbell House. Yes, that's exactly why we did that. I mean, these are the, this is the kind of setting where you would have seen people wearing clothes like that. There's one more small exhibition I'd like to mention, which is that um, the Mac is returning to the uh, Clinkett tribe in southeastern Alaska, 16 ceremonial objects that were, um, and we were responding to a claim of uh, federal uh, NAGPRA, Native American Graves Protection Repatriation Act, which allows us to return those pieces to the tribe. And before those uh, ceremonial pieces, they're quite stunning, um, go back in the summer, we've been given permission by the tribe. It's Clinkett tribe in uh, southeastern Alaska to show these pieces. So we're going to actually have a small gallery devoted to these pieces. They're going back for good. And these were pieces that have been in the collection, some of them for decades. Um, and so we're very excited about this exhibition. And we're excited that they allowed us to show these pieces. Um, like I said, they're of ceremonial religious significance which um, qualifies them for NAGPRA claims. So these will be going back, uh, but will be on, they'll be on view this spring. The good news about these shows at the MAC is that as of March 22nd, as Washington moves to phase three of COVID reopening, museums in the state will be open at 50% capacity, double the current figure. Find out more about MAC offerings and how to secure tickets at northwestmuseum.org. The 1988 Eddie Murphy vehicle, Coming to America, is a beloved comedy. And like most beloved comedies, it now has a sequel. Now streaming on Amazon Prime, the second film in the saga of Prince Akeem is a pale retread. And Nathan Weinbender says it was a long wait 
for such a disappointing follow-up. Every year when the latest batch of Super Bowl commercials drops, there's always one that dredges up old pop culture properties to get an easy laugh of recognition. Mike Myers and Dana Carvey donning their Wayne's World costumes to hawk Uber Eats, Bill Murray reprising Groundhog Day for Jeep, Jeff Bridges stepping back into the dude's tattered bathrobe to sling Stella Artois. The new and long-delayed sequel Coming to America, that's the number two, get it, feels like one of those ads, but blown out to feature length. The film might as well be a commercial, too, what with its blatant product placement for Pepsi, Spotify, and McDonald's. Eddie Murphy is back as Prince Akeem Jaffer of the fictional African country Zamunda, who is still married to his American Queen Lisa, played by Sherry Headley, and now has three fiercely independent daughters. His oldest, Mika, played by Kiki Lane, longs to be her father's heir apparent, but Zamunda is still operating under patriarchal rules, and so the bloodline of the Joffer family is up in the air. As the film opens, King James Earl Jones is on his deathbed, and he drops a bombshell on his son. During Akeem's original visit to Queens, he had a one-night stand he doesn't remember, which resulted in a son who's now 30 and still living in New York. So Akeem and his right-hand man Semi, played by Arsenio Hall, head back to the Big Apple, where Akeem's long-lost offspring Lavelle, played by Jermaine Fowler, is scalping tickets outside Madison Square Garden. Lavelle goes back to Zamunda with Akeem, bringing his mother, Leslie Jones, and uncle, Tracy Morgan, along. He then has to prove himself to be princely material, which involves tired jokes about ceremonial circumcision and wrangling wild lions, and he falls in love with the royal hairstylist, played by Nomzamo Mambatha. Jermaine Fowler is a likable actor, but Lavelle is a total bore, and the decision to place him at the center of the narrative is one of the film's many stumbling blocks. Original Coming to America screenwriters David Sheffield and Barry W. Blaustein have returned, collaborating with comedian Kenya Barris, and they simply haven't come up with a compelling story this time. They're grasping at contemporary feminist themes, particularly in their treatment of Akeem's daughters pushing back on Zamunda's antiquated social structures, and yet they still feel the need to shift focus to a painfully dull male character. Of course, most of the supporting players from the first film show up again. John Amos is the owner of knockoff fast food chain McDowell's, and Louis Anderson is his most conscientious employee. Vanessa Bell Calloway is Akeem's former prospective wife, who's still barking like a dog. Murphy and Hall are again buried under state-of-the-art makeup as the overzealous reverend, the overconfident R&B singer, and those old guys cracking wise in the neighborhood barbershop. Easily the best new addition to its cast is Wesley Snipes, hamming it up as the gregarious dictator of a neighboring nation called Nextoria. Ha ha. Look, these sorts of sequels, released a decade or longer after the surprise success of their predecessors, are never able to recapture lightning in a bottle. Occasionally you get a surprisingly good one, like Borat's subsequent movie film. More often than not, they're perfectly okay, like Anchorman 2 or Bill and Ted Face the Music. And then there are those like Zoolander 2 or Dumb and Dumber 2, which are so lame, you wonder if your fondness for the originals were somehow misplaced. Coming to America is closer to that latter category, repeating jokes you already know but at a much louder volume and with even broader mugs to the camera. The original 1988 film was sweet, charming, and filled with memorable gags. This sequel is merely attempting to duplicate its sweetness, its charm, and its gags, and it comes across as desperate. The actors seem to be having a good time, bless them, but consider this review an advertisement itself, 
but for re-watching the original Coming to America instead. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Nathan Weinbender. Nathan Weinbender is the film and music editor for The Inlander and a co-host of Spokane Public Radio's Movies 101, heard Friday evenings at 6.30 here on KPBX, where you are now hearing this program, Northwest Arts Review. Throughout today's Northwest Arts Review, we've been hearing from a Bozeman Symphony Orchestra concert recorded in December 2019. It's a performance led by then-music director candidate Norman Wynn, a young conductor with an already impressive international resume. It's been about a year since Norman won and assumed the post of Bozeman Symphony Orchestra music director. As luck, fate, or chance would have it, Norman's arrival in Montana coincided almost exactly with the beginnings of COVID-related shutdowns and restrictions. We talked with Norman about his first year in Bozeman. I have again the great pleasure of talking with Norman Wynn, who is the music director of the Bozeman Symphony Orchestra and has held that position for just about one year now. So greetings, Norman. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure entirely. Boy, talk about timing in terms of when to start a new position as the world is crumbling around us. If you could remind us of the lay of the land when you took over last year. Oh, well, it was, I believe, in early May when I got the phone call. And I I think at that time... I was in in Portland, Oregon, and stay-at-home orders were in full effect and all working from home. And there were many announcements across the uh, globe, actually, and a lot in the United States of concerts being canceled and the season, the rest of the season being canceled. So it was uh, pretty grim during that time. It was a very, very bizarre feeling to be uh, announced as a, a new music director 
of an uh, organization and orchestra and, and not know when exactly I'll be able to meet my colleagues in person or, or conduct the orchestra. So that was, so that was a, a definitely a, a tumultuous time. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And just the, the kind of the nightmare scenario for someone taking over, specifically an orchestra, because after all, these are your colleagues. You can stand in front of uh, an empty room and conduct all you want, but nothing's going to happen. And you can plan a great program, but if there's nobody around to play it, then that's entirely a different matter. So right. there you have that situation. And uh, what have you and the orchestra kind of evolved as a way of going about things in this uh, in this time? Well, I think for us, in the beginning, we were sort of on the same lines as everyone else. We just, things were changing every day. Uh, plans were, were changing and and finally, I think we got to a point where we just made the decision to try to at least do the the bare minimum. And how can we how can we be as safe as possible, but still have musicians come together and play? Because there was a, a really big need for music, especially in in our community in Bozeman. And so navigating that was very difficult. But you know, I think we're all. At least for me, I speak personally for myself. I've my relationship to music has certainly changed over the last year. I'm finding a deeper meaning and appreciation for this art that is able to express so many different emotions and um, states of mind. And and so I, I think in that sense, that's it's allowed me to be a, a more um, a deeper musician and, and go deeper into the music. Is that a matter of something that you have a very close relationship with being taken away essentially and that, that creates that kind of space where that music should be? Yeah. For me, I, I was sort of on this, you know, my career was, was going up pretty quickly and with the announcement of this music director position, guest conducting a lot. So my schedule was pretty hectic. And, and for me, it just, I was able to put on the brakes and sort of take a, a break from music. And now that it's starting to slowly come back in, I almost forgot how meaningful music could be. Actually, it wasn't until I was sitting on my couch and and decided to listen to a performance of Mahler's Second Symphony, which is a piece that the reason why I'm a conductor is because of that piece. And that was just a big light bulb moment for me of, of remembering the, the artist and the conductor that I was before the pandemic, because it had been so long, really, since I've experienced that kind of uh, massive sound. And so that that's sort of, yeah, that's how it's, it's evolved for me over the last year. <laughs> mm -hmm, sure. You never really miss it until all of a sudden it's just not there one day and you realize it does create this yes. real gaping hole in your existence. So what have you been exactly. able to do with the orchestra this year to at least partially fill that void for your Montana listeners? Well, for for us, we, we started very small. We did a, a live stream performance back in January where we featured... Uh, a couple of musicians and, and chamber music setting. Earlier this month, we actually were able to come together for the first time, although it was just a string program, but 
nevertheless, we were on stage at the Wilson Auditorium in Bozeman and were able to reach over 3,100 households of people who uh, watched our live stream. As things are becoming more optimistic here in the States, we're planning more and, and we're looking forward to, to doing more in the future. Mm-hmm. In terms of that, as you look forward to your next season, it must be very difficult to do anything in terms of really solid, concrete planning just because of how uncertain things are. I mean, even something as central to any given program as uh, contracting with guest artists, that must be a, mm-hmm. just a, such a fine line to skate if you decide to skate it at all. Yeah, no, that Jim, that's a really great point. Um, you know, I think a, a very obvious programming challenge is, is the, the size of the orchestra that we want to bring back in, in the fall and in our new season, um, if we want to include the choir. So I think right now it's sort of all of our bigger stuff is more towards the end of 2022. And uh, I'm optimistic about this fall. And we're just planning as if the, the fall will be somewhat back to normal. And But it certainly has been that fine line of oh, should we think about an alternative season for smaller instrumentation? Or should we, you know, it's what... And then there's the aspect of what do people want to hear, too, when they come back into the concert halls. There's specific pieces of music that we ease people back in slowly with some of the masterworks or, or, um, or pieces of music that touch on the emotional ride that we've been going through, mm. thinking about Beethoven Five or... Tchaikovsky's Fourth, those pieces of music that start, you know, sort of with this fate, darkness, turmoil, but yet there's this this rise of overcoming that. I think that's a very human experience. So there are so many aspects of programming, um, but those are just a couple that we've run into. All right. And all else being equal, and you are back in the Wilson Auditorium, and you have a full orchestra in front of you. What's going to be the opening piece on the new season? <laughs> well, we've commissioned a composer to write a piece for us, Scott Lee. He's our composer in residence, and he's writing a, a concert opener for us that is inspired and dedicated to Bozeman. Hmm. So that it will be a, a celebratory event and I already mentioned one of the pieces, other pieces on that program, Tchaikovsky's Fourth, is, is something that I think uh, everyone will be able to relate to and, and will be a good good first program to, to experience when we can all come back together. All right. Well, the plans are in the work. There is hope in the air, and spring is on its way. <laughs> we're looking at a, a different world than we were 12 months ago. Uh, Yes. Norman Wynn, thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us today, and we look forward to talking again and to hearing from the Bozeman Orchestra. Thank you so much, Jim. More about Norman Wynn and the Bozeman Orchestra, including information on an April live-streamed concert featuring principal flutist Sue McKeever, is at bozemansymphony.org. Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevinen. Help today came from Chris Massini. We're grateful as well for the contributions of Wes Jessup, Norman Wynn, 
Nathan Weinbender, and of course, the Bozeman Symphony Orchestra, who have played for us some gems from Ottorino Respighi's great reworking of Rossini themes La Boutique Fantasque. Join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio. Mm-hmm.